Welcome to All Electric Conversations, where we talk with pioneers in traveling with electric vehicles. We're your hosts, Katie and Steve Krivolovic of the All Electric family. From road trips and towing to daily life, we'll hear stories of wanderlust and progress to inspire your own adventures with All Electric Conversations. Welcome to another All Electric Conversations podcast. And today we are lucky enough to have Corey Subin here with us. And he is from Monroe and Associates or Monroe Live. You may have seen him on some of their YouTube videos and such. Um, and we are lucky enough to have him in person because he is from Nebraska. And so, you know, we wanted to to have it, sit down and chat with him and talk a little bit about, um, you know, Monroe and Associates and how a guy goes from, you know, Nebraska to president of Monroe and Associates and, and a little bit about you. Awesome. Yeah, so where do you want to start? I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, let's start there. <laughs> and we are actually about a mile and a half away from where I grew up. So oh, nice. I grew up, if you're from Lincoln and you're watching, right by Mahoney Park. Okay. Yeah, yeah. at uh, 74th and Colfax over yeah. there. Um, but all my siblings still live here, and they live relatively clo- close. My yeah. brother lives in Waterfield, Waterford Estates. My sister lives over by Layton, and yeah. my other sister lives on the other side of Layton. Okay. So Yeah, all close. <laughs> I, I packed all my kids and my dog in my vehicle, and I drove here for spring break because my parents, because of COVID, they haven't seen my young kids very often. Yeah. So that's why I'm here. Awesome. Yeah, but to answer your question, it's a, it's a long story of how <laughs> I went from Nebraska to Michigan to be president of Monroe. But essentially, I went to I went to Michigan for engineering school. Okay. I studied at Kettering University, um, which is heavily tied to the automotive industry. And Monroe and Associates uh, had co-ops. So Kettering has a co-op program where you have to work three months, school three months, work three months. And I happened to end up at Monroe and Associates because my dad was a mechanic. And on my resume, I had all my mechanic skills. And Monroe doing a lot of teardowns, they they wanted to hire an intern. They didn't have to train how to use tools or worry about injuring themselves, oh, taking yeah. stuff apart. So I ended up at, at Michigan for engineering school, ended up at Monroe because my dad was a mechanic. And then I stuck it out. So 18 years at Monroe and Associates, I kind of worked my way up the ladder, did tons of consulting in other, engineer, in other industries, aerospace, defense, and medical, a long stint in automotive. Then I shifted to management in 2020, and then the pandemic hit. And it was my idea to create Monroe Live uh, to get the word out about our Model Y teardown. Um, we had already ordered a Model Y to do a teardown, and it showed up three or four days before uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, shut the state down. So we were able to uh, film and release those videos kind of a few weeks after that, mm-hmm. and we kind of caught the world's attention, and we've doubled and tripled down on that. And here we are. So, and we met in Vegas, right? Yeah. You were at yeah. CES? Yep. Yeah. Or, so we do appreciate you inviting us to that. And so that was a lot of fun. Getting, oh, yeah. You, know, you and your team and uh, some el- other fellow YouTubers. And so, yeah. So, and then we found out that you're from Lincoln. So that even made it better. Yeah. <laughs> it, so what did you guys cover at CES? What was your favorite thing there? Oh, gosh. Um I, I think for me, it was just the sheer number of electric vehicles that were there when we went. I don't think I was quite expecting there to be so many electric vehicles. You know, I was expecting more like tech and, and that kind of a thing. Um, and then if I had to pick like one specific thing, I think it would probably be um, Magna and the heavy duty pickup truck drivetrain that they're working on because that, you know, is right up our alley with towing and everything. But I don't know if you had anything different than that no magna sticks out quite yeah to me there was also the oh what was it the what was that new car that's coming out i can't remember it's from uh via Via the vinfest the vinfest yeah Yeah. vf8 vf9 yeah and so that was interesting getting in that and riding in it uh definitely didn't feel like a lot of the new electric vehicles and so just for me, anyways, it didn't feel like it was that great of quality and stuff like that. So uh, most electric vehicles that I've been in have been uh, really good quality. And so yeah. I, I've always uh, assumed that that's what was always going to come to the market with electric vehicles. But to me, it wasn't that great. So, Yeah, with the VinFast, uh, Sandy and I actually went to Vietnam and really. toured their factory. Nice. They have like a 9 million square foot factory. They're iterating really fast. So although... 
people haven't been too impressed with the interior quality, fit and finish, some of the software functionality. Mm-hmm. Where they were at four to five years ago, um, essentially leasing BMW platforms and making internal combustion engine vehicles that mm-hmm. were based off like the X5 and the M3, to now quickly abandoning that and switching to EV. And how when we were in Vietnam, we saw how fast uh, everything was iterating there. So kind of like how people kind of discounted Hyundai and Kia in the 90s because they entered the market with less than ideal quality and really odd products that, mm-hmm. that didn't really fit the American market. Some of the Hyundai and Kia products are absolutely world beaters now. They're very, very, very yeah. top mark, very, very top notch. So I'd say with VinFast, give them three five years yeah. and if they continue to improve at the pace that they that they are that they've done already i yeah. think they may actually make some products people might want in the united states nice nice and i know you guys were there at ces yeah. and so can you explain what you guys were doing there yeah so we attended ces before as attendees and we'd walk around and whatnot before the youtube channel and then after so we went in 2021 and uh, we stood in a booth for a connector company. It's called Ariso. Um, we stood in the booth. We said, hey, we're going to be in this booth. And we we drew traffic to that booth, particularly for Sandy, not for me. I'm yeah. just there. <laughs> Sandy really is the star of Monroe Live. And it, w- it worked so well that the next year that connector company is like, hey, do you want to split the booth? And then you can have half the booth for yourself. So we did. And if you've ever been to CES or if you've ever been to a show, it costs $200,000 for that booth and to send all the people. <laughs> so because just the square footage alone is fifty dollars to $70,000 for the square footage we had, just yeah. that's just the cement. Then you have to use like union labor to set everything up yeah. and to, to rig all of the electronics. And we rented that screen was $15,000 to rent a, a 10 foot by 10 foot screen. And uh, then we had like $5,000 worth of giveaways. And we had tremendous traffic at the booth. Mm-hmm. We brought 12 people to work it. And we have a lot of leads from that. So although many people know us from the YouTube channel, we're an engineering firm. So we have probably a dozen leads where people came up and said, oh yeah, Monroe, Monroe Live, oh yeah. And then now we're pursuing engineering projects with tier ones, tier twos, smaller suppliers, and and a few OEMs from CES. So there's the content creation aspect. We filmed a lot in the booth. Sandy was interviewed by one of the top YouTubers in, man, I'm gonna get this wrong. I don't even know. It was Eastern Europe. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, George Buscini. I, I can't remember, but he has like three million followers on Twitter and a million followers on his YouTube channel. Um, plus a lot, a lot of other smaller YouTubers would interview Sandy right there, like Ellie in Space. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar. Yeah. And I was actually just interviewed on Ellie in Space, and that released on Saturday. Nice. Just yesterday. Um, that was just like a Zoom meeting because she right. broke her leg recently. I don't know if you followed. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. rough. <laughs> but we also walked around the show and did probably a dozen pieces of content. Uh, I got to ride in the Mercedes-Benz. Was it no? It was a Mercedes-Benz EQXX. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, did you try? Did you get around that? Not in the Mercedes. No. Yeah. So we did a piece on that. Uh, we did a thing with Texas Instruments. Uh, Re, uh, they make a corner module that's electrified. So it's always good to go to CES because then you're just in the know, you're around people. There's a lot of events and dinners. So was this your first time? It was, yeah. We kind of, it was kind of on a whim. We were like, eh, we don't really fully know what it's about. You know, you hear about it every year. We were like, but let's just go try it out. And so we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to you guys. Yeah. Prompting us. To oh, yeah. Put on our radar. Yeah. You invited us. And we're like, <laughs> We should go. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't realize we were the genesis for you coming. A lot of people go there no matter what. Yeah. Okay. So I just assumed yeah. you were going to be there. And now we will be because we did get a lot yeah. of stuff out of it and yeah. a lot of connections and stuff like you were talking about. And so we we just were like, well, now now this is going to have to be an every year thing. So we we had fun. Yeah. You said there's a lot of stuff there, and yeah. uh, that's accurate. It's a bit overwhelming in yeah. the beginning, and so we think we have an idea yeah. of what we need to do moving forward. Yeah. So I want to know a little bit more about how you started your channel. So yeah, can you go through that? Yeah. Is it 2018, 17? So, um, gosh, I don't even know. Well, yeah, probably, because it was, what, about I think we're yeah, yeah. coming on five years yeah. now, and we actually started as, uh, we were called Trail Less Travel when we first started, um, and we were really more RV-centered. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, you know, we kind of had a, a thought of potentially one, one day maybe like going full time and living in our RV and traveling and documenting that. Um, but, you know, life always just throws your curves, ball, curve balls and you go different ways. And, um, you know, we figured out that we weren't going to be able to do that. We weren't going to be able to just take off and go. And so then we um, we, were, we knew we were going to have more like local and close trips. And Steve had had a Model S previously and really wanted to go back to having a Tesla. And so he was like, I think we could tow with a Tesla. That might be kind of fun to do some videos on. <laughs> and so he was doing all the research. I was like, Hey, if I get to drive a Model X, I'll, 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 I'll let you tow with it. So then we started documenting that. And then that's when it really um, took off. Um, Inside EVs started covering our stuff. Yeah. Like there wasn't really anybody towing with an EV at that point that was documenting it. And so then it's just kind of grown from there. So Yeah. And your channel has, what, a couple million views? Two and a half million? Yeah. Views. We're getting up mm-hmm. there. Yep. Yep. So it's just, just continues to, it's it's really funny because you know we'll do the other stuff and the other stuff's okay because you know when you're stuck in Nebraska in the middle of winter you can't always be towing a camper around but then we throw up towing with a camper again and it just takes off and so <laughs> good or bad so you <laughs> yeah. so you have your videos you know will do well yeah and then you try other stuff that we sometimes doesn't yeah do well. yeah yeah just we've moved more into the education side of it yeah more recently yeah those seem to do pretty well and i think it's definitely needed to um that you know just trying to bring it down to regular people's level uh because i can talk about kilowatt hours and all this stuff all day long you know but most of the time people don't really want yeah I have much of that. I have an idea for the two of you. So, well, first of all, at Monroe, we do something called an EV primer. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of companies in Michigan, suppliers, tier ones, tier twos, OEMs, that they want to educate their their engineers on what our EVs about. And we have a really deep knowledge because we've torn down like mm-hmm. essentially over a dozen of them in the, yeah. in the near recent past. So we charge anywhere from, I think, seven thousand to twenty thousand dollars for a short half day course with lunch yeah <laughs> and uh they love it the feedback is really positive we call it an ev primer it's a powerpoint presentation we go over all the ins and outs the battery form factors the layouts the the you know kind of insights that we've gathered you could do a primer on towing yeah. so like an ev towing primer but you could target it to like dealerships, so like dealerships that sell trucks, yeah. where if if somebody, if they sell trucks and they want to tow, you could go give a course, or like when they buy it, they could, you know, sign up. Yeah. And uh, with yeah. your production capability, you know, with the channel, you could re- actually record it in advance. Mm-hmm. So have you ever thought about doing? Yeah, we've actually, um, well, we, we kind of are dipping our toes in a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, we are going to, um, we think, they're, they said that they're sending schedules, so we're pretty sure we're on the schedule at this point. We just don't know when. Um, but going actually to the um, International Airstream Rally and oh, nice. um, doing a talk on towing there. Um, yeah, with an EV, towing with an EV and stuff. And so, you know, we're kind of dipping our toes in on on uh, getting courses and, and teaching people how to yeah. do it because there's just, yeah, not a lot out there on it yet. So, yeah. yeah but that's a really good idea to especially like the dealerships and stuff. Cause even when you go <laughs> to a, 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 an RV dealer, sometimes they don't even know how to hook it up to a truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Then you put an EV and it's a whole other level. I mean, think about when we went to go pick up our trailer for the, for the model X. Definitely a good idea, especially when you're talking about some of these people that don't really have a, you know, a good inkling on what it's like to tow with an electric vehicle. Yeah. And just be, you know, real with them. That's what we've always wanted to do with our community is just show them all of it, you know, the good, the bad, and anything in between. And, you know, and then also give them tips on how to manage it too, because there is, yes. you know, a lot of tips to be had with that. We we have created a course, haven't released it yet, no. uh, for a company just on EV road tripping. Mm-hmm. And so that would definitely go along yeah. those lines too and just do... Our idea is to do some webinars and things like that to get good and practiced with uh, the whole EV towing aspect. So, so one more question. Uh, so with All Electric being the name of your channel, what's your thoughts on 
uh, EVs with range extenders. So like Ram, Stellantis, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. They're most likely going to release an EV that'll have a decent range, probably 150 or 200 miles of EV range with a range extended, which could make it up to 500 miles of range. Are you still going to dip your toe in analyzing that to compare and contrast it? Or is it like a, a religious thing? Like, no, EV only. Because we... <laughs> We get lambasted when we'll take PHEVs. We get them as press vehicles, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll look at the interior, we'll look at the exterior, and we'll do reviews on them, like six or seven reviews. And people in the comments are like, "This isn't an EV." It's like we're we're cheating on people. <laughs> it's like, hey, give us a break. You know, it's a free car. I drove it home, but at least it's a free tank of gas because they they drop it off. That's you know, yeah. either fully charged or with yeah. free gas. So we'll I'll I'll take it home a few days. But yeah. What's your thoughts on that, the range extenders? Yeah, the range extenders uh, specifically, like we'll definitely dip our toes uh, in with that because, you know, just like I've heard you talk before, like these electric motors have been in uh, big vehicles for a long time. They just have a diesel generator behind it. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And so, you know, you got to try it. And we've even talked about doing some trips where an electric vehicle can't even really get to but taking a generator and i know we'll get the same thing where it's like well you should have charged it up from the sun you know it's like well that would have taken two months (laughs) so like just because you know as technology evolves those things are going to become easier and easier but we still want to show how you can take this electric vehicle and put it in places that you know infrastructure hasn't you know yet taken it does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And we recently are, we recently tore down a Hummer EV with that massive battery. Um, so we may have videos to come on that. <laughs> and it's two, I think it was like 2,400 pounds. We had to make special accommodations. We had to buy a special metal table for the battery to sit on because the vehicle was so heavy. Our lift is a 12,000 pound lift. The vehicle is 9,600 pounds. The battery is 2,400 pounds. And we had to like, it was super complicated. Usually when we're dealing with, you know, Model 3 or the Ionic or the Model Y, it's not that big a deal when you're dealing with a 6,000-pound vehicle, 1,000-pound battery. But anyways, my, my point was the battery is huge, and it's, uh, you know, they're lithium-ion pouch-style cells, which aren't that efficient from a gravimetric and a volumetric perspective. So Sandy and I have spent a lot of time reaching out to battery uh, companies, particularly solid state battery companies, and we go, we interview the CEO, we get a t- factory tour. So we did QuantumScape in San Jose. We just did SES in Boston. Uh, we and we met their CEO Chichao Hugh, and really impressive, 450 watt hours per kilogram. And then uh, Amprius, a company out of Fremont, California, just announced five, well, slightly over 500 watt hours per kilogram. Now, the reason this is important is for towing. Now, if you want to get that 250, 300 kilowatt hour battery pack in a large yeah. truck, that's the only way you're going to get there mm-hmm. is with a breakthrough in the gra- the gravimetric density. So you're not carrying three or 4,000 pounds. So you can, pair, you can carry a 2,000 pound battery pack that, that has that 300 kilowatt hour number or 250 to 350 kilowatt hour. Because now you're talking some serious range um, so you mentioned technological breakthroughs. I think we're still probably five to 12 years away before we see them in vehicles and they'll start with high performance needs, towing or high performance sports cars where, uh, you want to get the mass down around the mass of an internal combustion engine vehicle, which is much lighter. And, uh, that's why the, the, uh, you know, Stellantis just released the, the Challenger that does 1.66 zero to 60. Mm-hmm. Their big advantage was they can put 1,100 horsepower in that vehicle, put some huge tires on the back, and they don't have that 1,000-pound battery underneath. So the vehicle's lighter. Mm-hmm. No, you know, it only has the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Um, so EVs are amazing unless you're trying to go really, really fast or really, really <laughs> far. Yeah. 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 So then how would you say these batteries that you're talking about compare to the 4680 cells that I know you guys have actually yeah. torn down. So you have to look at batteries in two groups, economy cells and performance cells. So 
if you're trying to do mass market EVs, you want economy cells, cells that are easy to manufacture using low cost materials. So uh, LFP, lithium iron phosphate, are your real economy cells, but they're not that great from a volumetric and gravimetric perspective. So if you buy a long, uh, standard range Tesla Model 3 or Y, um, they have CATL, LFP cells in, it's about 50 kilowatt hours, and it fills up the entire space that the 2170s, which are NCMA, nickel, cobalt, manganese, aluminum, and that you get 82 kilowatt hours. So you get 32 more kilowatt hours in the same volume and the same mass. Mm. But LFP batteries uh, are a little better from a charging perspective. So the Rivians that you have use, I think, Samsung 2170s. We mm. we have we tore down a bunch of we have a couple of Rivians, and they're using the similar cells as the Model 3 and Model Y because you get a lot of energy density per unit volume. I know I'm repeating myself. So, but, and then, so you go economy cells and then performance cells. So when you go economy, uh, 4680 really is an economy cell. And I said this once, a lot of people on Twitter and in the YouTube channel, they're like, no, but Elon said it's gonna be so much better. Well, the issue with the 4680, it's so much wider and they choose to cool on the side the mean distance to the center is longer. So it's 46 instead of 21. That's why the Plaid uses 18650s because the distance from the side to the center is shorter. So their ability to cool the cells uh, is is better mm-hmm. uh, when you're dealing with even the 18650s. The 2170s, 4680s get bigger. So when you buy a Model 3 or Model a Y, well, actually a Model Y with 4680s, because Tesla cools from the side, they are they're not going to be able to cool it uh, in a, in a way that allows you to get that massive amount of performance and heat rejection that you get in it with the you'll need for like towing or for uh, high performance. So economy, so I put the forty six eighty in with LFP as economy, okay. and then the higher end chemistries that are using cobalt, manganese, aluminum. Um, those are more for high performance. And then you get ultra high performance with lithium metals. So when we visited SES Battery, they had a titanium, uh, they had a titanium laminate that's actually for aerospace um, that they deposit the lithium on, the lithium on, and it's like incredibly light versus copper. So copper is expensive and heavy. Titanium is really expensive and lighter, and they even like laser etched like little hexagonal spaces in it. It's we 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 had a video. The, the video is coming out next week. Yeah. Uh, but when you hold it in your hand, it's like a butterfly wing. You can't even feel it, <laughs> like the lithium and the titanium. Yeah. Huh. Um. But so SES is claiming 450 watt hours per kilogram. That's all the way on the other side of the scale of cost and yeah. performance. Yeah. So. I don't think that actually answered your question, but you have to kind of, 4680 is over in the economy, so. I I believe that that uh, definitely did answer the question because it's not, not necessarily like a total game changer for all electric vehicles. It is more for the economy, for the scale of that. And so have they released on their uh, Tesla Semi, are they putting those 4680 cells or are they putting something else? I don't know. I don't remember uh, when Sandy and I were, we got invited to Investor Day. Uh, we got to walk around and tour a semi, but I couldn't see the batteries. Yeah. Nothing, obviously. Can't get my tear it apart. <laughs> now, do, now, I know this is going to be on the internet sometime. I don't know, but I thought they're using twenty one seventy. Okay, I thought that was the case. Well, from what you were explaining, it would make more sense. Yeah, yeah. Before, so yeah, so. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about too is you were talking about kind of the economy and uh, more the performance side. So that goes into cost and all yeah. that. So why are current electric vehicles so expensive? And you know, is there a route to get them uh, cheaper? Oh, this is a great question. <laughs> so let's go back thirty years. Uh, my first vehicle was a nineteen ninety one Nissan Maxima. This goes beyond electric versus non-electric. So my 1991 Nissan Maxima was made primarily with mild steel, no ultra-high strength steel. 
It had no airbags, no anti-lock brakes, and a very basic electrical system with not a lot of features. It sold for, I think, $16,000 to $23,000 back in 1991. If you factor in inflation, that vehicle today would cost $23,000 to $35,000. That $25,000 mark. But could Nissan sell a 1991 Maxima now? No. It would not pass roof crush. It would not pass the Sorb test. It doesn't have any airbags. It uh, it did have seatbelts. Um, <laughs> so there's a tremendous amount of cost not associated with electric vehicles that are in every car you buy. From 2016 or 17 on, all vehicles have to pass this Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard Test called FMBS 226. Which means if you, because there's so many more SUVs on the road, they realized that people were rolling their SUVs and children and pets and luggage were getting ejected on rollovers. So there's a law that I think after 17, your airbags have to deploy below the belt line to retain your passengers because they can't rely on rear passengers being belted. So it's actually a safety standard covering for the fact that they can't get people to belt in the back. Well, what does that do? That drives cost into the vehicles. The A-pillars get bigger, and because you have bigger airbags going all the way back in the car, that means you have to use even more expensive steel to keep the size of the A-pillar small enough so that you can actually see when you're turning a corner. <laughs> so these are the types of decisions that I've dealt with for years and years and years. Now, that would make just a standard car you're buying with a four-cylinder, six-cylinder gas engine um, and a regular transmission in the mid-20s. Now add fuel economy regulations. Fuel economy standards are so much higher just for internal combustion engine vehicles that now you, you'll see high feature engines. So variable valve timing, direct injection, mild hybrid systems. So that was adding thousands of dollars to the powertrains of internal combustion engine vehicles. So it was already a stretch to make money in that 25 to $30,000 range. That's why the average transaction price for vehicles is in the 40s, 42, 45, 46,000. Now add electrification. So that was my my whole program. <laughs> it's already hard to make money in the automotive industry. Uh, an, an automobile is a symphony of thousands of parts. It's incredible that people expect them to be such a low price. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now you electrify. Batteries are expensive, very expensive. The thermal systems that heat and cool the battery are also expensive, and OEMs did not have decades of developing them. So when we first saw EVs, what did they do? They jammed a battery in their internal combustion engine platform. It was inefficiently hung under the car. It was inefficient in the way the pack was made. The thermal systems were off-the-shelf components, commercial off-the-shelf components, and then you had lines running everywhere, and we, we criticized the Mach-E because... It, it looked like a rat's nest of hoses and lines when we took the frunk off. Now, you get to a point where the uh, MPGE for EVs is below 100. That's horrible for a sedan. <laughs> you really need your MPGE to be 120 to 130. That's the indication that an OEM knows what they're doing. It's, and so now I'm going to circle back to costs. Um, so some of the best EVs that are efficient in how they design the batteries and thermal systems and the rest of the vehicle have a high MPGE, uh, the lowest battery size possible for the most range. That's what you want because if you're carrying a smaller battery, then you don't have to size up the rest of the vehicle to pass all these existing crash, crash tests and durability requirements. Um, but a battery costs anywhere from $10,000 to $20,000. So add that to the cost to build material. Now you really have to sell an EV for forty-two dollars to $50,000 to make any semblance of net profit. And what does Tesla do? They sell their vehicles from $42,000 up to you know, $120,000, $30,000. Yeah. But really, I'm talking Model Y, Model 3, which are more mainstream. They really get to about seventy dollars uh, for the Model Y. And... A lot of OEMs are struggling, and Ford just announced that they expect to lose money with their Model E group for, I think, the next two years. They said they were going to turn a profit in 2026. And 
these breakthroughs in battery technology and really how vehicles are designed, I think you'll see a wave of new generation vehicles coming from BW, uh, Stellantis, Toyota, once they get their stuff together. And if they emulate what we see from some of the startups, like Rivian's actually pretty good in some in some sense and how they, they do their high voltage system and their battery and their thermal system. Tesla is like world leading when it comes to efficiency from a cost and weight perspective. And I think you'll see a lot of catch up happening. But then Tesla announced at Investor Day another huge step change in how vehicles are assembled. I don't know if you caught that. That is like the paradigm shift that needs to happen to get the cost down in the 30,000 range. Now, everybody says 25,000. I think 30,000 is fine. We have inflation, you know. In a, in a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's my long answer. An automobile is way more complex than electrified versus not electrified. We still have all these vestigial um, requirements for safety and fuel, uh, not fuel economy, but safety and and then the efficiency associated with the EV systems, um, it really drives a ton of cost into the vehicle. No, it is assumed too that having all of this uh, manufacturing and stuff done a certain way and trying to shift it, um, you know, takes time, it takes money to figure that stuff out. Oh, yeah. So, and maybe that's what it's money in the development of it. Yeah. You're figuring it out. And maybe that's what Tesla introduced at their investor day was how they were going to manufacture them in, yeah. in a more uh, economical way. And then also all of the technology and stuff that we expect with some of these electric vehicles is, I would imagine, pretty expensive as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like self-driving and, you know, yeah. ADAS, is that what it's called? ADAS, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's another thing that has kind of blended together is uh, Tesla sells all their vehicles with the FSD3 or FSD4 board. Now, we do cost analysis, and we cost that whole board out. It's north of $1,000 for that board with those two high-end, discrete Tesla chips. Um, There's multiple boards in there, and it even has to be thermally cooled. And only, I think, adoption of FSD beta or or people who pay is only 14% or 16%, somewhere in that range. So that means 84% of Teslas out there on the road aren't using the full capability. So that means Tesla is giving away those processors. But uh, we oftentimes talk with this really smart guy. His name is Thomas Mueller. He's from, he works for a company called WePro. He knows everything about the software and how they collect the data and whatnot. And other OEMs, uh, the requirements is you have to have dual, you have to have redundant uh, computers. So Tesla has all these circuit boards and chips, all these chips on the circuit board, and they have the exact same chips and circuit board right here. But what Tesla does, they're on the same board. They have separate power feeds. One of them is doing the work of the, collecting the data from all the sensors and processing the real world data and driving the car if needed. The other one is running a validation script, he said. This is really novel. Another OEM from Germany has, um, that has, uh, I think they have level three autonomy. They have one uh, circuit board and chip doing all of that. And the other one is a separate unit sitting in the trunk and it's doing nothing. And it's about 700 or $1,000 for this. So Tesla is about eight years ahead of the competition in collecting this wide a wide range of data because they collect the data and they're processing it. They send it back to the mothership and they use the Dojo chip to process and validate all the real world data. So I could, that's like a five hour conversation if you go into the lead that they have when it comes to collecting data. So even the super low cost vehicle that Tesla is bragging about, the $25,000 or $30,000 EV, it will have all of this functionality. And I've said recently that I think Tesla is experimenting with removing ultrasonic sensors and radar uh, in because uh, if you buy a Model S Plaid now, it doesn't have ultrasonic sensors in the front. It does have radar, I believe, but um, these are expensive components. It's like a billion-dollar decision to go without those sensors and radar if you factor in how many cars they sell a year. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're experimenting with can they do this with just cameras because cameras are cheap? Cameras are not expensive. 
And I think hardware four now has little five megapixel cameras. And if you can get away with doing this with just cameras, um, you can deploy this globally at a much lower cost. So that circles back to the cost number. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're pulling the radar. They pulled the radar out of the Model Y partly because maybe chip, you know, chip constraints. Mm-hmm. And now they've been able to test with and without radar, with and without ultrasonic sensors, with and without you know three megapixel cameras to five megapixel cameras. They've had so much learning over the over the last five years. It's just incredible. And in the next two to three years, you may see other OEMs deploy similar systems. But they would just that's their starting line. <laughs> that's when they're going to start to collect data. So it's kind of wild. That is wild. I could go down that rabbit hole and ask you a bazillion questions, but <laughs> I will spare Katie. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm learning lots, and I I love it. Like it's it's so fascinating and it's it is like when you stop and you think about how much goes into just a vehicle and then the ev side of it on top of it and all of this stuff and you know it's kind of something because we've been getting a lot of the you know it's too expensive for me comments you know a lot lately and i'm like yeah but think about how much thought and testing and energy is just going into like developing all of this and making it work so for for every vehicle on the road i'm like that is, there's an ungodly amount of money just in that alone, you know? So it, it's fascinating to me too. Yeah, I would agree. And then, so you've worked on a ton of different projects. Um, how long have you been at Monroe and Associates? 18 years. 18 years. I, I'm in my 18th year. Yeah. I, I kind of lose track. I think I'll actually hit the 18-year anniversary in September or something. Nice, nice. So along that way, like what, is kind of the craziest project that you've worked on, something that people wouldn't think that Monroe and Associates worked on. Crazy. <laughs> I won't I won't say crazy, but just, you know, un- unique things. Yes. Um I have worked on a rice plant planter, you know, made for the Asian market. I've worked on skid steers, which are like bobcats, yeah. front loaders. I've worked on the scope for a gun. I've supported um, an air conditioning unit for the military. I spent three months in Brazil supporting the development of a plane for Embraer. Nice. Yeah, doing some lean design training and workshops there. Um, And then some of the odd stuff I'm most proud of is the most boring. So I can't can't really say the OEM, but um, it was in Michigan and... It was the development of a new vehicle, essentially from scratch. And it started in 2011 and went all the way through 2017. So the sketch phase, we were working with a a group like Advanced Concept Engineering. And um, I was able to save, they saved the spare tire. They were going to get rid of it. They were going to, they wanted it. They wanted it. They were going to get rid of it. (laughs) And they decided they need it. And I was able to put a, a whole packet of information to show them that they could package it in the rear quarter and it was a collapsible spare and I fought a lot of battles with the packaging engineers about um, the tire envelope. They had a requirement that that it had to be able to withstand hitting a curb at 25 miles an hour in reverse in a parking lot (laughs) and that caused the tire envelope, meaning the max like, Mm. you know, you know, distance the tire could travel in the wheel well was like really far out in one direction. Well, I got them to drop that requirement and it shrunk the tire envelope crazy so that it could fit. And then how that rear shock mounts on that vehicle, um, it was, they had a design because they were using tooling in the plant that had vertical uh, screws. It was uh, called a Kuka pallet and they wanted to maintain these vertical screws. So they had this aluminum cup and it was like $3 for both sides and three pounds and then all the structure in the body to react when all the other OEMs, you know, look at Honda or Ford, they had a bar like this with two holes and they just screwed it in the side and it was in sheer and it saved seven pounds and seven dollars on every vehicle that was ever made. So if one of those vehicles drove by and parked in a parking lot, I would get it, bend down and look in the rear wheel <laughs> because I know that if I wouldn't have fought that, the vehicle would have went to production seven pounds heavier, seven dollars more. But they make a quarter million a year. So whatever seven times a quarter million times <laughs> 15 years, they'll make that. Yeah. That's the value we bring. So I'm kind of proud of these like weird battles that I fought back when I was in my 20s. 
that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I have to ask, so if somebody has just, you know, caught some of your like teardown videos, right? Like they haven't dug into the heart of like what Monroe and Associates does. Like what what would you say? Like what is at the heart of what you guys do? What are you what's your goals? What are you aiming to to do in the world? So we are a catalyst for change. So Sandy likes to say it's 90% psychology and 10% technology. So understanding technology and benchmarking is only 10% of it. So we pride ourselves on being able to actually impact an organization's design um, and their products for good. And it may seem like a lot of a consultancy speak, but we recently had a workshop with a large OEM and... Uh, we compared their vehicle versus a few other vehicles, and they were blown away with the quality of the ideas and the context that comes behind them because we've seen thousands of bad ideas. So we know how to weed out bad ideas, and then how we deliver those is a re in a real collaborative way. We purposefully train our employees to speak with we. So if that OEM is in the building, they won't say, you need to do this or you need to do that. We don't point and we're, we don't ever want to take the credit. We want to have our client realize that we're in it for them. And then they come away feeling like, man, these are these are good ideas. We should change the clips on the harness for the rear fascia. <laughs> like these are small, impactful ideas that, that roll up to substantial savings and, and uh, improvement. And we work on anything from refrigerators to exercise equipment to... Uh, grills, um, smokers, cell phones. We're, be we're way beyond the automotive industry, and a lot of people don't realize that. We, we actually tried to do a couple fridge teardowns on our channel. <laughs> they went horribly. <laughs> the first one, the first video got, I don't know, like 60,000 views. The second got like 20,000. <laughs> and then the third, we scrapped, and we actually ended up selling the fridges. We were going to do a sub-zero fridge versus like a low-end Frigidaire. Yeah. And show is it worth it? Fourteen thousand versus two thousand. Yeah, and uh, it just we tried to dip our toe in a different uh, segment. <laughs> yeah, we backed out. Yeah. So is it worth it? Uh, depends on if you're. <laughs> it depends on if you're invested in staying somewhere a long time. Okay. Because the repairability of a sub zero over time, if the compressor goes out after twelve or fifteen years, you can get it fixed. Um, it's less of a throwaway item. It's mm -hmm. more of a heirloom fridge. Yeah. And I feel like the styling and the styling and the function and of all the, the drawers and the and the compartments inside, they kind of stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Now that we lost everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just, I asked. Yeah, you took it there. You took it there. <laughs> That's really cool to hear that you guys have worked on all that. Uh, yeah, okay. different stuff, and uh, yeah, and I'm sure going to be around for a yeah. long, long time, and, yeah. and um, kind of solidifying yourself definitely in the automotive industry with uh, what you guys are accomplishing, and then also in the public eye too with Monroe Live. Um, I know the answer to this, but who was the person that thought of that? Oh, Monroe Live. Yeah, oh, it was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> Credit will be credit is oftentimes given to lots of different people, but I was the one who executed it. I bought the domain MonroeLive.com on March 20th of 2020 on my personal GoDaddy account, and I <laughs> I created a Monroe Live channel with a brand new Gmail account um, because I I had asked for the login of our corporate. A YouTube channel, which still exists, by the way. It's called Monroe Associ. <laughs> it has 14 videos on it from 2008 until now. And it only has 140,000 views and like 800 subscribers. And I think 600 have come since we created our channel because they, they get confused. Yeah. Uh, but I asked for the login for that. And at the time, we had a PR firm that managed it. And they said, oh, no, you don't know how to create content. And, you know, they wouldn't give me access to it. So Monroe Live was kind of created like, well, I'll just, I'm the president of the company. I'll, yeah. just, I'll just create something. <laughs> yeah. So, and then we've kind of forged ahead with that. And we're actually launching a secondary channel called Monroe Live Podcast. Okay. We, we're building an, a podcast studio. It's actually going to look somewhat of this. We're going to have a big table, enough uh, four mics, roadcaster, lighting, 
the whole thing's filled with uh, sound deadening yeah. foam and stuff. Um, and we've lined up our first seven or eight interviews. Nice. Some other YouTubers, maybe I'll consider the two of you. But we want it to be in person. So yeah. Some other YouTubers and, and then a lot of other, you know, in, industry guests, engineers, yeah. chief engineers and stuff. But we've already had a lot of pretty pretty decent um, people interviewed. We've had, you know, Elon, Jim Farley, RJ Scringe yeah. had him, we interviewed him, and then uh, a couple of chief engineers from Ford and and um, some CEOs of battery companies. But we've when we started the podcast, like we kind of just you know this will be what episode thirteen now I think. So you know it's pretty it's pretty new, but we kind of. We're like, hey, we should probably do this. You know, all of the things say you should have a podcast. And so we kind of drug our feet on it for a while. And then we started doing it. And it's kind of becoming one of our favorite things. Like, yeah, yeah. just sit down and have conversations with people and, and talk about, like, all that's going on. Learn their stories. You know, talking to, like, people like you that have all of this knowledge. And people that just go out and do it and talking about their experiences and stuff. Because... You know, like we can talk about what we do over and over again, but it's just fun to get that extra element in it. So we like, and I think you guys have enough yeah. of a pull that you'll be able to get some really yeah. fun names and people in there that are going to be great to have yeah. on. And what's the plan? What's the long-term plan for your channel and your efforts? Mm-hmm. Do you still have some day jobs or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We both <laughs> own businesses. We both are full-time with that and we're doing this on the side and, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I always say I'm like, I just I went into the family business of um, education and and childcare and that kind of a thing, um, but where really I mean I started making like a newsletter for Hanson like the Mbop guys like way back and <laughs> no you know like when I was in middle school online and I wanted to make a website for him and stuff but everything was so new then you know my mom and dad were like. I don't know how you're going to make money doing that. You know, so then you're like, you take a turn and you go, okay, well, I'll go do something that's known. And so it's kind of always been my passion to create content and that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, when YouTube became what it was and I was like, oh, I want to do this just for fun, just for my side, you know, just to, to have a hobby. Mm-hmm. And so it's been continuing to grow. So, you know, potentially one day I could hopefully maybe just do the channel and stuff and and try to make that what I do because I do love doing it I love creating content and putting stuff out there and helping people again it still kind of comes back to my education I like helping people learn and helping to you know inspire people to do what they want to do and and you know just take life by the horns and do what you want <laughs> so <clears throat> we want to continue to educate people on yeah. towing with electric vehicle <clears throat> we we, Katie, is the driving force behind most yeah. of this stuff, but um, recently came up with a EVRV rally, mm-hmm. and it's inviting people out to a rally where we t- uh, bring people in and have talks about uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier, EVs in general, uh, camping in general, and then also towing with an EV. Um, and so th- that's this is our second year that we'll be having that. And so we're just really kind of getting started with some of that stuff. Um, but we just want to expand that and continue to, you know, meet people like you and, uh, you know, in the future, go in general, go to the Airstream rally, connect with people there and just, you know, everywhere. CES, uh, fully charged, like all this stuff. Are you going to a fully charged? Um, we haven't put it on the calendar yet, but we want to. Want to yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I went to fully charged San Diego mm-hmm. last year. Uh, I spoke on a panel. It was like a 20 minute panel and there was five people up there. So I spoke for two minutes or something. <laughs> if you do, yeah. If you do the math, most I get is five. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But the fully charged people are great. Do you know Robert Llewellyn? I mean, the no. guy who founded it. Yeah, I mean, no of him, yeah. but yeah, I haven't ever had a chance to connect with him. Yes, we know Robert really well. Yeah. See, so if you just the connections. Yeah. If you yeah. ever wanted an introduction to anyone, yeah. Oh, let me know. Right. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, we'd like to move also into the direction of like you know road tripping with a family, going to like an Airbnb that has uh, that's EV friendly, that has an EV charger, just to show the ease. If you seek that out, that makes life much easier yeah. with an electric vehicle. Just once again, going back to the education side of it, 
all the stuff that we really enjoy, but we also know newcomers to the electric vehicle space are really going to want to do the years of research and figure that stuff out. So, yeah. yeah. Just showing, you know, a little bit is what possible. We're trying to, you know, see if we can figure out timing and life work and stuff to, to tow the camper to like Alaska or Baja, California. Oh or gosh. Yeah. So, you know, like we want to show people like you can't, if you're not afraid of it, it's, it works, you know, and, and so, and have fun and travel and see the world and do all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you live in Lincoln, one of my favorite cities. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is a great town. Yeah. We love it. This morning I went for a run. I did like a tour of Lincoln. Oh. I ran all the way to Bryan LGH. Well, it's not called that anymore. It's just called Bryan. Yeah. And then I went to Holmes Lake, yeah. ran up the dam, around the lake, and then I went out to 112th and A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then through the dirt roads and back here. So, yeah. Um, I got to see all sorts of familiar sights. It's amazing what it does to the mind because I lived here for 18 years. And as I'm running on Cotner Boulevard and by the mall, it's just like all these memories are coming back of me, like riding in the car with my dad and my mom and going to the dentist in that building. I'm like, <laughs> it's like nostalgia on yeah. steroids. So I think I named my run Nostalgia Run or something. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a good town, a great place to grow up and raise kids and all that good stuff. So too bad our football team's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hey, what's your what's your thought on, on Matt Rule? Uh my thought is uh, I think that, you know, his kind of record speaks so really well for him, like long standing record. Um so I think that he'll be a great fit for Nebraska as far as like his core beliefs too. Like I think we need that in a coach. Uh, feel like we haven't had that for a while, and so I think you know he's centered around family, and uh, and so I think it's it's re- gonna be really good. But and she's KU girl, yeah, so. Mom. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, we got knocked out of the tournament, so I'm depressed. So it's fine. <laughs> At least you made the tournament. Yeah, but Nebraska hasn't even made the NIT since like tomorrow. Teron Lude days. Remember that? <laughs> exactly. Been a while. Been a while. But yeah, we're coming up at, at about that time. So, but it was great to have you on. Yeah, no problem. Awesome conversation. Always love digging in deep. And there. Any closing closing arguments? <laughs> no arguments. Just thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you around. Awesome. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening. Find all of our show notes at allelectricfamily.com slash allelectricconversations. Be sure to connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at All Electric Family. Find us on Twitter as All Electric Fam. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this story, please be sure to share it and hit that subscribe button. Leave a review and help inspire others to hit the road. Until next time, stay charged.